Matthew chapter 26, primarily this morning, Matthew chapter 26. You can find this morning's uh, message notes on the YouVersion Bible app or on our digital bulletin. If you have the app already, you can go to More Events Heritage. We'll be right there if you'd like to follow along that way. Uh, you can do so. We'll be in, Mas- in Matthew chapter 26 primarily. We'll also uh, head over to Mark 8 uh, for a few moments this morning. This morning we continue into a series called Victory as we look towards and anticipate Easter Sunday. We look towards and anticipate victory over death, victory um, over the, the grave that, that is by all logic, the end, but where death and grave have been defeated in life, everlasting and arisen Savior. Um, when I was uh, 11 or 12 years old, like a lot of 11 and 12 year olds will do, you don't really plan out or think ahead of what maybe your schedule or calendar looks like. And so I remember uh, one particular day uh, spending an entire day with my friends swimming. So much so that I got roasted. I mean sunburned so badly that we had spent the entire day outside and like um, probably some 11, 12-year-old, they didn't really think about sunscreen. I mean, I got so red that I was blistering all over my shoulders and back. That's how sunburned that I got. Now, I wasn't thinking that the next day I was supposed to play in a baseball game. And so the next day comes, I am red like a lobster. I am blistering all over my shoulders and back. It's baseball game day, and my dad looks at me and says, you're playing. I I can't play. I can barely move. He's like, your team expects you to play. You're going to play, and you're going to play to win. Oh, so my dad bandages me up because I have so many blisters. I'm a catcher, by the way, at this point in my life. And so I am behind the plate playing a baseball game, and blisters are popping. And I mean, the whole, it was, it hurt, okay? But here's what I learned from this experience. I learned, and I didn't use this language as an as 11 or 12-year-old, but I learned that you're going to play, and you're going to win, or try to win. That, you, that you're going you're gonna to live up to your commitments and at all costs you will win or try to win and you will give everything you have. Blisters, sunburn or not, you will play no matter what. Last week we began to introduce this idea that we live in this kind of not only society and culture, but that we live within in us as human beings this idea that we are to win victory, conquer, and overcome at all costs. That somehow, somewhere down the line, we began to believe, I think very generally speaking, we began to believe that our Father in Heaven is going to bandage us up no matter what wounds we may have and say, get in the game, you're going to play. That we must try to win. And so we go to great lengths, do we not, to try to win Great lengths to overcome, to conquer, to be on top. We believe that we must be right and in the right position and we must influence from the top down. But yet, we see something vastly different in Scripture, don't we? 
the king of all the universe, the creator of all things, the one who was there when all of existence was spoken into, comes to this place, and he doesn't lead. He doesn't lead with armies. He doesn't lead in battle. He leads from the bottom up, not the top down. Scripture gives us a vastly different model of living life that's not consumed with being victorious at all costs. And so, I've had, I've had this, this particular illustration in, in my head for several weeks as I was preparing for this particular message series, and I think this is the right moment to share probably one of the most profound illustrations you will ever come across from me. You remember the movie Cars and Lightning McQueen? Lightning McQueen is a race car in the cars world, and he is on the rise. He is the most famous up-and-coming race car in the world, and he is on the cusp of winning the Piston Cup. It's the coveted winning, uh, the, the co most coveted trophy that you can win as a race car in this world. And Lightning McQueen is in a three-way race for the Piston Cup. And if you remember the movie, um, Lightning McQueen... Um, has, has got lots of things kind of going wrong for him in this particular race. And he fights his way back on the final lap. And in, right before the clip that I want to show here this morning, Lightning McQueen looked like he was finally out of the race. For like the third time, it looked like he would not be able to recover. He recovers, and not only that, he's now in first place. And he's on the final stretch to win the coveted Piston Cup. But Lightning McQueen teaches us something that I think Scripture is trying to teach us about what it looks like to win. So if you're online, I need you to know you're not going to see this clip because if we do, we'll get booted from everything. And so if you're online, bear with me for two minutes. The rest of us, we're going to uh, watch the very end of the Piston Cup race and see how Lightning McQueen finishes this race. Melissa?
the piston cup. It's just an empty cup. There may not be a better illustration of what Jesus teaches us, not only in his life and teachings, but through his life on the cross, his death on the cross, and life in resurrection. And if we're not careful, if we continue to be God's people who think and believe and act that we must win at all costs, no matter how we get there, as long as we get there, we're going to be doing donuts in the grass, thinking we've won when all the time we just want an empty piston cup. Matthew chapter 26. Jesus knows his time has come. He knows that he is going to be betrayed by one of his 12 disciples in Judas Iscariot. He knows through the will of his father that he will be sacrificed on a cross. And in Matthew chapter 26, I want to pick up in verse 47 because this moment that we find in the last in the, in the last moments before Jesus' arrest gives us a wonderful contrast to the type of victory we think and expect in this world versus the kind of victory that Jesus not only teaches but shows us. Jesus has been in the garden praying. His hour has come. And Jesus knows what is to be, what it lays before him and in verse 47 of Matthew chapter 26. <clears throat> While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now, the betrayer had arranged a signal with him. The one I kiss is the man, arrest him. Verse 49, going once to Jesus, Jesus said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus simply replied, Do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. And with that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Let's stop there for a moment, because, let's be honest, if we're writing the story, this is a good moment in the story. Jesus is going to be falsely arrested on false charges, bogus charges. His disciples are now ready. He's been betrayed by one of the twelve that have followed and learned from him. One that gave his life in the, in the name of Jesus Christ. This moment, this moment demands defense. This moment means that a sword ought to be pulled. This moment demands victory at all cost, doesn't it? You see, in this moment, we see it. Victory at any cost is living well right here. John chapter 18 tells us it's Peter, of course, who unsheathes his sword, cuts off the ear of one of the soldiers. He's ready. He's emotional. He's always willing to jump out of boats and pull his sword out and defend his rabbi. 
It's Peter who takes the first blow because it's for Peter and his disciples that victory will be had. And victory for them means we will defend our rabbi. And for them, their rabbi will sit on the throne of David. And for them, they will finally, they will finally stop, stop resting with Samaritans. They will finally stop preaching to cripples. They will finally get away from the lowly of this world. And now they will rise up to the top. And their sword is drawn. And they are ready to defend. And they are ready to kick the Samaritans out. And they are ready for their rabbi to be on the throne of David once again victorious in God's name. This is victory. This is what it looks like to overcome and to have at any cost, no matter how you get there, to be the one on the top. Because at the top, we can influence, right? At the top, we can influence policy. We can influence language. At the top, we can tell people how they ought to live. At the top, we can tell, we can share to people the good stuff that we believe in. Victory at any cost is the way of this world. And unfortunately, God's people, generally speaking, this is not an indictment on any one person, but from my observations, unfortunately, God's people would rather live by the rules of Ricky Bobby, if you ain't first, you last, than be last in Jesus Christ. That mentality that we have been hooked on that we believe in, it is hogwash, nonsense, in the name of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 26 continues in verse 52. Peter has just cut the ear off of one of the soldiers. Fighting is ready to go. And in the midst of an arrest over bogus charges... The one they came for says, put your sword back in its place. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. How come we don't have that phrase hanging up in our living rooms? For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think that I cannot call my father and he will at once put all at my disposal more than 12 legions of his angels. But then how would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? What we begin to learn and what the disciples have been wrestling with for quite a while in the ministry of Jesus Christ is that it is never Victory at any cost. But their victory will come at a cost. And the cost of victory by the standards and the ways of this world may look like a loss, an L in the column, a defeat on the playing field. But the cost of victory is a win in the very end. Uh, my oldest is uh, about to turn 15. Last year for her 14th birthday, we were, um, like, like a lot of people, it's your birthday. What do you want for dinner? Where do you want to go? And if you remember, you know, a year ago, going out and sitting at a restaurant was a little more difficult to do, right? 
Like, it wasn't like everywhere you could go and do this. And Reese is like, I want sushi. Okay. So we research and we find a sushi place that, that would sit, you know, six of us. And so we go to this sushi place and we walk in the door of the sushi restaurant. And I immediately knew this place is going to cost me. <laughs> You've been in a place like this? Like I felt underdressed, the atmosphere, the vibe. And then you sit down and look at the menu and you're like, yeah, it's going to cost me. There's six of us in our family. So going out always cost me, but this was really going to cost me. And at the end of a, of a wonderful night together, uh, dinner and everything else, they hand the bill, and all of my suspicions were confirmed. It cost us, right? This is this kind of moment where, where not only those who read, like, like we have just, read this moment in the garden, but the disciples who are in the midst of Jesus' presence get the bill. And they look at it and go, oh, this is going to cost me. It's going to cost you differently. Victory doesn't come by the sword. The cost of victory comes in defeat. And what we discover in the garden is that the power and winning the day is not the achievement or the goal of Jesus Christ. That victory will come, and victory has come in Jesus Christ, but it comes at the cost of defeat today, of loss today. And I am convinced, absolutely, utterly convinced, that we have got to stop confirming our biases we get into echo chambers in our social media platforms and we pump ourselves up because people are telling us the things that we think we believe the the messages that we think are right and so what happens is, is we rile ourselves up in thinking that if we don't win then all is lost if we don't achieve greatness, if we don't stand at the top, if we don't pull our swords out, then victory will not come. And Jesus shows us a completely, vastly different way of living. That victory comes by putting our swords away, healing even in the midst of an arrest. When it looks like you're going to lose, you still do the Jesus thing. And you care and love Jesus puts the, the severed ear of this soldier right back on because this is the way of victory. This is the cost that it will look like. The cross is that cost, isn't it? I love this moment in the garden. I mean, there's a, there's a lot going on, uh, obviously, in this moment. And the verses that I didn't finish with in Matthew chapter 26 are the disciples, they're out of there. Because they can't seem to grasp what victory looks like. The kind of cost Jesus is asking of them. You see, in this moment, the evil one believes he's going to win. And the cross is how he's going to win. You see, if we can... If we can put him on the cross, if we can murder him on the cross, if we can shame him on the cross, then this, this movement and this ministry will end right here. Why? Because death is final. Defeat is the end. Losing is the worst thing that can happen. This is the evil one's plan. And in this moment, it looks like the evil one will win. 
that the loss will stick. Defeat will be there because when he goes on the cross, there is no turning back. He will be tortured to death. He will be shamed on that place. And death will be final. And in the cross, the symbol of torture and death, this, this moment of, of, of bringing those that are against you into, into great humiliation, where you end the uprising becomes something different altogether, doesn't it? Because we know and we believe that the cross is not final. This cross that was meant to be the end is now the beginning of something new, something great. The cross now becomes the starting place for life everlasting because death will not win at the end of the day. Victory will come because Jesus Christ will rise anew in the grave everlasting. And we understand this, and this is the part that really we have to wrestle with. I want to go all the way back to Mark chapter 8. We are at the end in Matthew chapter 26. I want to go back to Mark chapter 8 for just a moment, because Jesus talks about this. In Matthew chapter 26, there's this wonderful moment where the disciples have to make a decision. Now, I think Peter makes the wrong decision. But Jesus, Jesus has been teaching and building and sharing what this moment will look like for them. And what it ought to look like to be one who keeps the sword in rather than pull the sword out. And in Mark chapter 8, Jesus talks about this cross moment. He called the crowd to him, Mark chapter 8 verse 34. And he tells those around him and his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What a fantastic paradoxical statement, isn't it? That to be one who follows truly in the footsteps of Jesus, when we come to the moment in the garden, there will be a choice. Will you choose the cross? Or will you choose the sword? Three things that we can pull very quickly from Mark chapter 8. Thinking about this cost of victory. Simple, straightforward, right there in the text. The cost of victory first is denying self and all selfish ambitions. Jesus does not demand from his disciples that they become bigger than the message, than the one. Discipleship, in the same breath, is not part-time volunteer work. It's not an extracurricular activity that you can check off with an hour or two a week. And God refuses to accept part-time minor roles in your life. So what's the first thing? If you want to be a disciple of mine, deny yourself. No one person is bigger and more important and can add any more value 
to the kingdom and the ministry of Jesus Christ than Jesus himself. You see, victory has already been won. And this goes to the communal aspect as well. God's church, God's congregation, God's community does not see itself greater than. There's no one body part that is bigger or better than any other body part. And there is no one community that has everything figured out. We come to this place in denial, self-denial of who we are and what we can bring. Because you will not be victorious. Jesus will be victorious. And the victory of Jesus comes when we are willing to lose the moment, to lose ourselves in this place. We must deny, forbid. The word, uh, quite literally, that word deny quite literally means shed or cast away self. Secondly, the cost of victory, as Jesus teaches it, is a willingness to suffer loss right now. Now, remember, in Mark chapter 8, this is the halfway point of Mark's gospel, Jesus hasn't gone to the cross. He hasn't been crucified. He's in the midst of his earthly ministry. And so this cross idea now is being introduced to his disciples for the very first time. And what Jesus is doing is introducing the idea that there is a willingness to suffer in his name. That there's a willingness to go to the most torturous place that you can imagine in the first century Roman world, to the cross. The place of dissidence and the place of death. The place for criminals. Are you willing to take up a cross? Not the sign of sacrifice and love that we may see it or wear it or post it in our, room, in our houses. But a place of, of, of punishment. A place of losing. And Jesus requires disciples to carry a cross. He expects us to join him in a despised and doomed place, a place of loss. Are we willing to carry that cross? Just much like in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus will do in, a, in just a little bit later that night, that next morning, he will carry his own cross where he will be hung. And third, the cost of victory means we follow through with defeat. Now, this, this idea, losing on purpose, this is quite foreign to us. But Jesus says, follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and ultimately follow me. Follow me, Jesus is calling to each and every one of us. It's his calling from the very beginning. Jesus doesn't give agenda, and for the very first time to his disciples, he actually gives them insight into where following him will go, and it will go into defeat. It will go to the cross. But are you willing to not simply follow him, hear a good message from him, 
feel encouraged and uplifted by him, but are you willing to go to the cross with him? What we see from the disciples in Matthew chapter 26 is a disperse. They don't understand. They don't get what victory looks like and the cost that it means for his disciples. Now, this context of Mark chapter 8 is wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful because when Jesus gets to verses 34 and 35, take up your, uh, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me, it has come on the heels of this pivotal moment in Mark's gospel. In Mark chapter 8, you have this halfway climatic moment. The most climatic moment in Mark's gospel happens in Mark chapter 8. Because here, for the very first time, the first seven and a half chapters of Mark's gospel, Jesus has not been recognized as a Messiah, as a Savior, other than by demons. And for the very first time, you have this moment. Mark chapter 8, I'm backing up just a few verses, verses 27 through 30. This is, the, this is the moment leading into deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Verse 27, Jesus and his disciples went on in the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked him, who do people say I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others say you're one of the prophets. But what about you? Now, Jesus has turned the question very personal to the 12 that follow him and know him most intimately. What about you? For the very first time, Jesus is asking, who do you say I am? And Peter answers for the group, because it's Peter. You are the Messiah. And Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. And what comes up is Jesus' teaching of what it means to confess Jesus as Messiah, as Lord, as Savior. Peter's willing to say it. But what does Jesus say next? If you're going to say it, you're going to live it. Well, great. I got a sword. I'm ready to go. Let's fight for victory, Jesus. And Jesus says, wait a second. You call me by name. You know that I'm your Messiah, your Lord, and your Savior. I want nothing to do with your sword. Deny yourself. Be willing to carry your own cross and follow me there to death and defeat. See, this great context, this great moment in Mark chapter 8 is a crossroads moment. Been at a crossroads, right? Got choices to make. Ah, which way do we go? We got options here. Matthew chapter 26 is this crossroad moment that is, that is born out of a Mark chapter 8 kind of moment. Jesus has been sharing this, teaching them, showing them what it looks like to minister in his name in this world. And this crossroad moment now comes with a choice. And too often, far too often, we choose the sword. That we're not willing to deny ourself and our place and our might. Too often we say it's hard to carry my own cross. And Jesus, I like you, but I'm not following you up that hill where they're going to hang me. 
Victory. Victory in Jesus' name comes at a cost. It comes at a great cost. And we find ourselves at a crossroads, but this isn't the kind of crossroad we find ourselves in. We find ourselves at the real crossroad. And we have a decision to make. And here's the thing. Well, I was baptized, right? Now, it's not everyone in this room, but we come into this moment where we realize and we start to understand that our decision to die in the watery graves of baptism, be raised new. We've made that decision. Well, the idea and the thought in the crossroad moment of deciding to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me is every waking second decision. We find ourselves at this crossroad every moment. Some are larger than others, some are smaller than others, but we find ourselves in a place and in a time where we must be God's people who must make a decision. The soldiers are there. The betrayer is amongst us. We have a decision to make. Will we fight for victory? Will we put ourselves on top? Will we go to our graves with a sword in our hand? Or will we go to our graves hung on the cross, willing and knowing that we will be raised new in life? We have a decision to make. And that's the invitation this morning. Is that I leave you at the crossroad. Because God's people must make this decision. If you've never been baptized, if you've been considering or never even once considered what it might look like to follow Jesus Christ, understand what it may mean for you. The waters of baptism are confession to deny self. It is a willingness to take up your own cross and it is your, daily, uh, is your daily commitment to follow him, even to death. Because he wins. Victory is had. Victory is there. It is before us. And God has won. Are you willing to lose today to win everlasting life in the name of Jesus Christ? You're at a crossroad. I'll make myself available up front this morning during the singing of this song. One of our shepherds, Tom Snyder, will make himself available in the back of the cafeteria. You can find either one of us. And this is not the only time to respond to God's word. But I want to encourage us to take this moment at this crossroad and to, and to, to be honest with ourselves and what it means to deny self, take up a cross, and follow him even to death, even into defeat where we will find life everlasting in that victory that Jesus shows us in the empty tomb.